point church is going to be able to reach a half million people. It's, it's just not going to happen. And of course, you know, I say all this, and we could, we could be, look at it and say, oh man, we're, we're sunk. There's no way. There's no hope. But I'm here to say to you that there is. I'm here to say that there is hope. Because of churches like this that are still alive and still breathing and still going, but not just existing, but actually doing something for the cause of Christ. Uh, I was excited to be able to hear how much folks, how many missionaries that you're already supporting here through this ministry and, and, and also what the missions giving is uh, per annual giving. It, it's like, that's incredible. And so, so much more could be done. The truth of the matter is that that for every, if, if everybody here and throughout America, if, if every Christian, if every Christian were to win one person to Christ, let's just say for in 2020, 2020, coming up here in 2020, if every person, every born again child of God in the United States were to win one person to Christ, and we repeated that every year for 35 years, we would reach America. That sounds doable, does it not? The only thing that's going to prevent us from doing that is not going to be God, but it's going to be God's people. God's people. And, and the message I want to bring to you tonight is about that very thing. We could talk about soul winning. We could talk about the need. But what are we going to do about it? I don't think anybody disagrees with the fact that we need more churches. We, the, the, I just heard the stat recently that, that 85% of all the missions giving is given from the United States throughout, uh, throughout the world. But if the light goes out in America, it goes out everywhere. And so it's so viable that, that, we, that we keep planting more churches. God has allowed my wife and I to, to see six churches planted in California during these 10 years, which well, I thank God for that, but that's just not even barely a drop in the bucket compared to what we need. And I'm, what I'm saying is that I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for all the souls that have been saved through those ministries, and, and I'm thankful that those independent Baptist churches now that are planted are now also supporting missionaries as well. And, but you see, that's how we're going to do this, is that if we continue to multiply our efforts and multiply more churches like this, we can look at America, and, and we don't, I don't need to try to convince you that America's in trouble. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's sickening to look at the, the headlines. Uh, throughout the United States, it, it's heartbreaking. But the truth of the matter is, is that I, I, I take some blame to that. And I think that every Christian should too, that across America, I, th I believe that our country's in the condition it is because Christians have stopped doing what we're supposed to be doing. We, we stopped taking the gospel. And so therefore, the next generation is coming up. That's our, our next goal that we're going into at this point here is if you read back there, it's just coming in 2020. We're going to the triad area of North Carolina. You say, why in the world would you go there? We just saw that you need more churches down in L.A. Well, God uses circumstances to bring people where he so desires. God has brought us there to North Carolina. We have four children. All four are in ministry. They're in actually North Carolina. And you say, well, so why go there just because of that? Well, the truth of the matter is that I'm thinking that the Bible Belt doesn't need more churches, okay? Because I'm from California, and so I don't know any better. Until I come out to North Carolina and I start doing some survey work, I start talking to pastors that are out there. I start talking, I start going door knocking, and I'm finding that there's nobody, I can't, I, I'm not running anybody that's even saved. The people that I'm running into are all people that need Christ. 
And then my heart starts breaking for it, and then I start talking to some of the pastors, and they said, you know what, we got a great need over in this area, over in this area, in this area, go over to Raleigh, go over to Charlotte, go, and, and next thing I know, it's like, I start checking it out, and it's like, I thought, man, these guys aren't exaggerating. There's a great need. And what you just saw in that film was there's needs everywhere. And don't be deceived by the devil to think that just because a church has a name or, a, or the Bible Belt has that name that, that we're okay. It's not okay. It's not the Bible Belt anymore. It's not what we used to know as the Bible Belt. And I think you talked to all the pastors, and they said, oh, yeah, no, we, we, that's, that's past years ago, decades ago. And the truth of the matter is that we need more, we need more preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's something that is not going to happen just with one couple or a dozen of them. Or it's going to take everybody getting involved. It's, it can't just be the pastor and leadership. It's got to be everybody to do something. And by the way, we could all do something. And there's something that we could all do. Now, some may not be able to do what others can do, uh, but there is something that everybody could do. Even if it meant, if you recall, when, when Jesus looked at the multitudes, what was his solution as his heart broke? He says, what do we need to do? He said, pray. Pray for more laborers. Okay, for the harvest field. He says, he says, we need more laborers. So everybody here could at least be praying for more laborers. Amen? I mean, you say, oh, prayer is, you know what? We, we underestimate the power of prayer. But the power of prayer is what we need, is what drives this church. It's what drives uh, every, every missionary. It's, it's what drives God's hand to be able to, to accomplish his will on this earth is through prayer. And we need to be available to to, to pray and to pray according to God's will so that his will can be done on this earth as it is in heaven. I want you to take your Bibles, if you want to get right into the message. And in the book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number five, a familiar story, but just because it's a familiar story, don't, don't close your mind off on it. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping that God will use this uh, to speak to our hearts this evening. And, uh, but if you would, please follow with me as I read uh, from Luke chapter 5 and verse number 1 through 11. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? If you're able to, if, if not, totally understand that. And uh, follow along as I begin to read. Luke chapter number 5, verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret. <laughs> I just slaughtered that word. And, and he saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed to him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down, and he taught the people out of the ship. And now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your, net, your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished at all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was James and John and the sons of Zebedee 
which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed them. Heavenly Father, once again, we, we give you thanks and praise. Uh, we're thankful, dear God, for your precious word. We're thankful, dear Lord, for the, the instruction and the admonition that is found in your word. We're thankful, dear Lord, that, that we can be challenged by your word. And tonight, I plead with, with Holy Spirit that you would please help me to deliver this message under your power. I pray that you put power to your word. I pray that you would touch our hearts. I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us, Father, as we are in dire need of your help, dear Lord, as we stand at nearly the 12 o'clock hour around this world and here at the United States of the return of Christ. We know it's inevitable. We know you're coming soon. We see the writing on the wall. And yet, Lord, we ought to pull out all the stops that we can, dear Lord, and give it our all, give it our all that every person may hear that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And Lord, I would pray you'd please bless the, your word and help me, Father, to deliver your word. And God, I would pray that you'd please use your word that Christ would be lifted up is my prayer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you for standing. Anyone who fishes has more than likely been skunked one time or another, right? Amen. We've all been fishermen out there. Got any fishermen out here? Just, just a handful. Oh, not too much. Pastor, been skunked before? Yeah? I, I think I've been skunked more than I could dare to, to, uh, to, to tell you about and, and count on my hand, but but Peter and his partners had just spent all night toiling. And they were toiling, and they, they, they took nothing. They were skunked, if you will. You can almost hear the tone of his voice as he responds to Jesus that, that he's tired, he's frustrated, and a bit proud. Because after all, Peter is the professional, and fishing is his livelihood. Peter's response to the Lord is somewhat half-hearted, as Jesus suggested to take all your nets and let them out for a drought. But I want you to notice Peter's response, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And he went to singular. Jesus had said, plural, take, out, take nets out there and let them out. He says, because you're going to get a big drought of fish. But I believe that, that because of, Peter, of Peter's heart was a little bit hardened. I just, I just pick up on that a little bit, that maybe perhaps that he was not thrilled about it, being out all night, which I could understand that. And you got to remember that when, when, they, when they go out fishing with those nets, if they don't come in and uh, uh, dry them out and so forth, that they become, there's a lot of work to the nets and, and making sure that they don't dry up and so forth. Otherwise, when it does come time to bring in the fish, they, the nets would break and uh, fall apart. But I could just imagine that he felt somewhat a little bit frustrated about having to go back out again. But have you ever been there before where maybe perhaps we don't like to be told what to do anyway, but let alone when we know that maybe perhaps we failed and somebody comes along and is going to tell us what needs to be done? I don't know about you, but you know, I think it's our nature that we don't like to be told what to do. And, but at the same time, I... I think that uh, maybe perhaps Peter wasn't so excited about that, but yet Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, as he was preparing Peter for a great task that he had for him to do along with the other uh, apostles. 
Jesus had already enlisted Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they had traveled with Jesus in Capernaum and Galilee, but then they went back to their trade, but Jesus had other plans for them. And by the way, uh, sometimes we think that after a big day or something that we get involved in that we could kind of go back and take our ease, but the truth of the matter is that there's no time. We need to continue to work because the nighttime cometh when no man worketh anymore. And so we need to stay, we need to stay uh, faithful and fruitful. But we understand that God has given us a free will, but God also has a perfect plan for all of our lives. Amen? We all believe that? God has a perfect plan for all of our lives. If, and as I mentioned, that, that if the nets are not washed and stretched out to dry, they, they rot and they break. And when Jesus told Peter to launch out into the deep, Peter was somewhat apprehensive about launching out into the deep because the deep represents the unknown. It represents uncharted waters and maybe perhaps potential danger as well. It would, it's going to require more faith for, for Peter to, to go out into the deep. But the deep also represented that there would be, that they would receive blessings. And because each time that we step out by faith, that's where the blessings are. We're commanded by God that the just shall live by faith. Also, it was a well-known fact that, that in the Sea of Galilee, you caught fish at night in the shallow water, not in the daytime in the deep water. I didn't know that. But after doing a little bit of research, that's what I found. After all, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. What did he know about fishing? Maybe perhaps Peter may have thought. But then again, he is God. How many times have we ever responded half-hearted to God, God's word, because we knew better or wanted to do things our way? Kind of like a child and a parent, right? Where sometimes the kids think that they know better than mom and dad. You ever have that, Brother Calvin? <laughs> and sometimes that does happen. Peter had a heart problem, though. But the heart problem that we're talking about wasn't a physical one. It was a spiritual one. He had a spiritual problem. But that was about to be fixed. I want you to notice in verse number 6. In verse number 6, the Bible says, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were on the other ship, that they should come and help them, and they came. The Bible says that Peter's net broke, but something else broke that day besides Peter's net, and I believe that it was Peter's heart. I believe that Peter's heart broke, as the Bible says here, that when the net broke and he saw what was taking place, look at verse 8, as they began to sink, Simon Peter saw it, and he fell down at Jesus' knees. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I believe that his, his heart broke. I believe that when he, the Bible says that when he saw it, what was it that he saw? Well, what he saw was a miracle taking place right before his eyes. He saw this miracle of this drought of, of this huge catch of, of fish that he was just blown away with it. He couldn't believe what he was seeing, but... Peter saw the miracle, but more than that, he saw the one who performed the miracle high and lifted up. He saw more than just the miracle that took place, but the one who did the miracle, and he saw him high and lifted up. In John 3, 14, the Bible says, and, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 12, 32 says, And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men unto me. This he said, signifying with death he should die. Peter fell to his knees, realizing who he was, a sinful man, and seeing Jesus Christ, his Savior, his King, and his God. And he fell down and responded the way that he did as he said, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I believe he fell in humility. There's Isaiah the prophet experienced the same type of event. I'm going to jump back there real quick in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse number 1, if you recall the story, the Bible tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Do you know, at, by the time you get down to verse number 8, verse number 8 says that also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Before Isaiah could answer, here am I, God had to take him through this exercise. He had to take him through and help him to remember who it was that he was doing this great commission for. And so if you go back to chapter number six and verse number one that I just got through reading, the Bible says that he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, 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 he is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I believe that what's taken place here is that before God's people are truly ever going to get to the point where we become totally submissive to God to do whatever God asks us to do, that we need to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We need to see the King of all kings. We need to see more than just a command. We need to hear more than just a preacher talking about it. But we need to personally experience to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. I'm talking about the one who went to Calvary for you and me. I'm talking about the one who went and, was, and he was crucified on the cross, and they used the cat of nine tails on his body, and then they nailed his body to that old rugged cross and put him in the ground and lifted him up. And now God says that I want you to be able to see that it is me that died for you. I want you to be able to see that I gave it all for you. Won't you give it back to me? And I believe that even here that in this particular case, and in not only in Isaiah's, because we see here that Isaiah humbled himself as he fell down. Peter also fell to his knees, realizing that who he was, just a sinful man. And then Isaiah, uh, he did the first thing where I believe that his heart also had broken. Isaiah saw his Savior high and lifted up in his holiness, but he also saw himself for who he was. I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Christian, before God, 
can use you and me. We must see the Lord high and lifted up. I want to say also that Peter made, not only did we see here that Peter's heart broke that day, but also Peter made God's vision his vision. And you know what? That's what we need to do. We need to make his vision. I'm just saying not be aware of his vision, but we need to be partakers of that vision. And uh, also, if we go back to Luke, and in verse number 10 of chapter number 5, we see here that the Bible says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. So now remember this whole chain of events that Peter is going through. Peter's going through and has a little bit of, I think, of a heart problem with the Lord as he's commanded to go back out into the deep and, and to let down his nets, but he only takes one net. And in doing so, the miracle, God allows that miracle to take place. But you know, Peter almost didn't get to be a part of that miracle because of his heart. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that we miss out on being able to see a miracle of God that every time a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we miss out on that if, if we hold back from being a witness to the unsaved people of this world. And we miss out on that miracle because it truly is a miracle. There's no way to explain it, to, to be rational about, about salvation. I still, I, I still have a hard time trying to wrap my hands, my arms around this whole idea of salvation and what God has done and the promise of eternal life and why he would save me, just an old wretched sinner. I don't deserve it. None of us deserve heaven and the splendors of God's grace. But yet because he loved us so much, it's hard to imagine and it's hard to, to, to take hold of that. But I could just see Peter, wow, wow, a brand new vision. I'm no longer going to be a fisherman, but a fisher of men. And Jesus wants me to lift him up that others may come to him. And after Isaiah had seen Jesus lifted up, he saw himself for who he really was, a sinner, undone, and deserving of hell. Visualizing the harvest of lost souls, waiting to hear the good news, now Isaiah was ready to answer God's question, whom shall I send, and who will go before us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Child of God, have you ever done that with God before? Maybe perhaps you have, but on a regular basis we, need, we, think, we see that the Apostle Paul, the Bible says that he died daily. He died daily. You know what the truth of the matter is? That when a person dies daily, you don't have to worry about all the, uh, about the, the heckling. You don't have to worry about the persecution. Because you know what? If you're dead, you don't feel it. And yet that's how the Apostle Paul, walking in the Spirit, was able to do all that he did by the grace of God because he was walking in the Spirit of God. You see, God's vision for you and I is, is still the same. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, it hasn't changed. It's still the same. And, and I'm thankful for the Great Commission. I'm thankful that, that God, and you have to remember that these were the last words of Jesus Christ before he ascended back up into heaven. And just before he did, he, he basically said it one last time to the apostles as he says, but you shall receive power. I'm going to equip you with power. And, and, and after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, 
both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Whole missions is three quarters of the Great Commission. If you look at the scripture right there, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. You know, when you think about that, Jesus was saying, okay, I spent three years with you, and I've, I've taught you, and as I sent you out, and, and he began in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35, when he says you need to pray for laborers, and as they overlooked and they saw the great multitudes of people, and the heart of Jesus, I believe, was breaking right there as he looked, and he saw the multitudes, and he said to pray. And you'll find that right after that, that he goes in talking in a little bit more, uh, a little bit more instructional to the uh, apostles about what they are to be doing. He says, basically, what he's saying is that, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm getting ready to leave. You all understand that. Uh, and once I leave, you guys take it from here. And you got a big task. And you got a big task because you got to continually be teaching others also to take the gospel. Because if you stop, then the rest of the folks behind you will never hear about the gospel. No pressure. That's where we're at today. We're there today because the gospel is not going out as much as it needs to go. The truth of the matter is, is that you'll never find in the Bible that they only went soul winning Tuesday nights or Saturdays, whatever it might be the case. By the way, that's not a bad thing to do. If you're doing that already, keep doing it. Be faithful, do it. But we need to be soul winning wherever we go. We need to be witnessing wherever we go. You go to the restaurant and say, well, I'm a little bit timid. Whatever it might be, that, that's okay. Then, But you can still take a gospel track and leave it maybe in the restaurant. Right? Amen? And, and leave it there or, or maybe uh, hand it to the waitress and leave, at least leave it. You know, without saying anything. You know, because I'll guarantee you, nine out of ten times, they will pick it up and look at it. And the person at the store, you may not be able to stand there and witness to them the whole time, but I've never really had more than maybe one time in my life as being a Christian where somebody rejected taking it even as a uh, working in the grocery store. And they'll, they'll take the guy and say, hey, and then when you get a chance, read the back side. It shows you the Bible way to heaven. And you know what? Most people will say thank you. Whether they mean it or not, that, that, that's not on me. That's, I, I, that's not what's important. The important thing is that they have an opportunity. And it's up to them to, to choose to do whatever they want to do with it. But you see, God's last command needs to be our first priority. If we think of the words of Jesus in, in the Gospel of John. And in John chapter number 6, verse number 38. Real quick, let me just read that here for you as well. I got it marked already. In John chapter 6, verse number 38, Jesus said this. He says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. 
the words of the Lord Jesus Christ reminds us of his vision. His vision should be, our vision should be his vision. Amen? And not the other way around where we try to get God to, to buy into our vision. We're there to be able to carry his out. That's why we're left here. Let me just say real quickly that, that Peter not only made God his vision, but also Peter left his comfort zone. Look at chapter 5, verse 11, back once again in the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 5, verse number 11, we see here that when they, when they brought their ships to land, they, what did they do? What's the next word? They, they forsook. They forsook not just a few things, they forsook all. And they followed who? Which is Christ. You know what? Peter and his partners forsook all, and they followed Jesus. We sing that song all the time. I have decided to follow Jesus. Amen? We sing it, but do we live it? Do we live that song? Now, like the last part, no turning back, no turning back. And there should be no turning back. These men were not sure where they were going, but by faith, willing to follow the one who had called them. Apostle Paul put it this way. Go with me to uh, Romans, Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12, the Apostle Paul, and certainly he lived this, and he said it, very powerful, and you'll, you'll recognize the verses. Romans chapter 12, verses number 1 and 2, if you remember what Paul says, he says, I beseech you, I beg you, right? That's what it means. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, what's the next two words? Reasonable service. Reasonable service. Whenever you talk to a fireman or maybe perhaps a first responder, you want to honor them. I don't know, do we have any firefighters or first responders, police or any, okay, law enforcement? If you try to go up and honor one of them and thank you for your service, that type of thing, they always pretty much just brush it off. And the words that oftentimes will come out of their mouth is that, I'm just doing my job. It's my reasonable service. It's my reasonable service. They know that going in when they become a law enforcement, they're laying their life on the line for others. Firemen, the same thing. Anybody else that truly is a first responder. And they just look and say, well, this is my reasonable service. And certainly it is in so many ways. Somebody who, who chooses to join the military realizes that when they come off, they maybe perhaps served, and they willingly went there knowing that maybe perhaps in battle that they may lay, lose their very own life and come back and sometimes maimed or, or whatever may have happened to them. They come back, it's my reasonable service. I went to fight my reasonable service to protect my country. You'll find that many others that have different responsibility and vocations that are similar to that 
would have that same kind of a spirit as well. The Apostle Paul, when you think about the story about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and how he was preaching, and because he's preaching, of course, the Pharisees and others didn't like it, and what did they do? They, one particular case, they stoned him. They thought they had killed him. They dragged him outside and, of the town, and they stoned him and figured that he was dead. They walked away, but his apostles were still there. And then the rock pile that he was underneath began to move. And up out of it comes the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, as he's shaking the dust off himself, and he's bloodied and bruised and so forth, he gets up and his, the apostles are standing around. Are, are you okay, Paul? Paul, are you okay? And they see Paul reaching for his scriptures and picking them up and whatever other belongings he may have had. And he begins to start walking. Paul, where are you going? I'm going on to the next city. They need to hear the gospel. For Paul, it was his reasonable service. It was the, the apostle Paul said himself in 2 Corinthians, he says that, for it's the love of Christ that constraineth me. The love that he had for his Savior was so great, basically, he was willing to be a living sacrifice for the glory of God. And the Apostle Paul was used mightily, and we could talk about all the different things that took place in his life. But we also find, though, that, that Peter, uh, that, that Peter later on, he, he said uh, something to the fact that also that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not everybody will suffer persecution because you're a Christian, but those who live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. You can just count on it. It's happening already around the world, and it will be happening more so here in the States as well as time progresses. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul going out soul winning today, in today's day? Coming into just a random church and say, hey, y'all want to, who wants to go soul winning with me this Saturday? And one by one, they all come and laying down their excuses of why they can't. Well, you know, Paul, I, I, I don't like confrontational soul winning. I'm afraid I might offend somebody. You know, Here's my rebuttal to something like that. Would, would any of us here today, would we ignore the fact if we're walking by and a house is on fire and there's a child upstairs screaming for help? Would we, in the middle of the night, would we feel like, I can't, I don't want to go and, I don't want to offend these people and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to mess them up. I, I might interrupt their sleep this time of the night, so... I better not go. I don't think anybody would think that way. How much more, how much more the flames of hell that we say, well, I, I would rather be, I, I don't want to be embarrassed, so therefore I'm going to let that person die and go to hell. I mean, when we start putting it from those kind of terms, it's, it's kind of like it's an old brainer that we need to tell everybody. Bar none. No excuses. And the truth of the matter is, is that 
That won't happen until we see Jesus Christ high and lifted up personally. What needs to take place? You see, I can remember back personally, as I mentioned, we got saved in 1985. I was 29 at that particular time, and you can do the math. And, uh, but at that particular time, when I got saved, I had my own business as an architect and a builder coming out of the Catholic Church. And I got saved, and so just we, we got tied into a good, solid, independent Baptist church. And so that was the training I got as a brand-new Christian. But the truth of the matter is I got busy. My wife and I both got busy in Christian service right away, and we were serving the Lord. I had my own business, but I had my own agenda, too, because with my business, people go into business because they want to make money most of the time, right? Well, that was my goal. Before I got saved, and while I was still while I was saved, I still wanted to make money, and I wanted to be a millionaire. I mean, so I was pushing and working towards that goal. So I would only devote a certain amount of time. It's like I thought, okay, if I go to church, I'll do my, my time in there in serving, and, but any other time, that's my time. And so there was a little bit of wrestling with the Lord. I felt like the preacher would preach about different things, and I would still go out soul winning and so forth. So it wasn't that I neglected not doing anything. I was involved. I felt like God wanted more. But then, 1988, September of 1988, I know you support Christian Law Association. David Gibbs was preaching. I love his stories, amen? <laughs> but he was preaching. He went there that day for me. He was preaching from the book of Colossians, chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3, verses number 1 and 2, the apostle Paul said, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You know, he was, the Holy Spirit had me that day. I felt like a, a piercing went right through my heart because I knew that my affection was on this world and not upon the things above. And the Holy Spirit was all over me. I went forward at the altar. Tears were just coming down. I mean, they didn't even open up the altar yet, and I was down there. I was begging God to forgive me for being so selfish, for being so self-centered, for being and, and minimizing what he did for me on the cross and how he poured out his life for me. And my response was putting him off and taking him for granted and my salvation for granted. And all I could see was Jesus Christ lifted up on that cross. He gave it all. I bade God, God forgive me. I said, Lord, I'm so thankful that you saved me. So thankful I won't have to go to hell. 
please forgive me. And God, I am right now, I'm offering myself to be whatever you want to use me for. I'll be that living sacrifice. I sealed that decision by telling the pastor my decision. And he says, well, <clears throat> he says, let's wait about a year and see what God has for you. Because I didn't know exactly what God wanted to use me for. So a year came around. The only thing I could think of was using what talents I already had of being able to maybe perhaps draw and build a church facility, perhaps. But I got no calls and no interest coming from anybody on the outside for my services during that time. The following year, I went back to Midwest. To I went along with the staff of the church. They took me back. The pastor invited me to go. And to go to the uh, pastor's conference in the Midwest. And so I went. And the last side of the conference, 5,000 delegates or so. And he preached out of the book of Esther, if I perish, I perish. He said, who is going to go and take the gospel, the good news, to the next generation? And the Spirit of God was all over me. He said, you surrender. I, he had, I had no problem at all to be able to go forward. I said, God, I'll, I don't know. I don't have a clue what to do. But God, I'm just going to trust you. I could see Peter. Peter saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to be a fisher of men because, because you know what? You're my Savior. I'll do anything for you. I mentioned before that we can reach America in the period of 35 years, but there's only one thing that would hold us up from doing that, and that would be God's people. It's the all goes back to the heart. It's opening our heart and saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. We could come back with all kinds of different things and say, well, I'm doing this, or I'm doing that, or whatever. You can do it all you want. But if you truly love God, there's not going to be one thing that you would not do because it's your reasonable service. And that's all God's looking for. Just our reasonable service. Stephen and all the apostles gave it all to the one who gave it all to us. It's always about the heart. Maybe your heart needs to break for the one whose body was broken for you. Maybe it's time for God's vision to become your vision. We could have missionaries parade through here all day long and all throughout the year, but if we don't open our hearts to do what God has commanded us to do, it's in vain. Why have it if we're not going to give God our all, our reasonable service? Time to come out of our comfort zone. It's our reasonable service. No spectators in the Lord's army. Everyone's a missionary. Father in heaven, I come to you this evening and asking, Lord, that you would just please... Please, dear God, would you please get a hold of all of us here tonight, Lord, including my own heart. Thank God that I would be willing, dear Lord, not just on occasion, but every day of my life, give 100% back to you. 
and God be so pliable that there would not be one thing that I would not do for you. That would include my giving to you, Lord. Father, it's your money that you give to us to be able to promote, to send missionaries around the world. God, may we be pliable to give back to you. Thankful for those who participate and thankful for those who already seem to go way beyond. But may we not hold back anything, not just our giving, but our prayer life, our church attendance, every area of our lives. May we give 100%. It's just our reasonable service. Father, I would pray that you'd please help us, dear God. Holy Spirit, do a work right now that man cannot do, but only you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, tonight, if the Spirit of God has touched your heart, don't say no. Say yes. Say yes to the Lord. September 1988 was the day I surrendered my will over to God's. I did it that one time, but I do it every day since that time. But I did it once. That was a big game changer for me because I gave up what I thought I loved so much to one I love so much greater. Their heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. If, if the Spirit of God has spoken to you, and you, I'd like to be able to pray for you. With your uplifted hand, just put it up, then put it down. God's, God's spoken to you. I want to pray for you right now. God bless you. I see, your, your, I see many hands going up right now. God bless you. Wonderful. God bless you. I'm going to pray right now for you. I want to encourage you that if you're here tonight, if God's working in your heart, that's why we have, that's why we have an altar call. It's your time to be able to respond to how God has spoken to you. Would you say yes to the Lord? Let's all stand right now if you would. And if God's working in your heart, why don't you come and make some decisions at the altar tonight? Father, please.